Hello, the Scouted Football Podcast here with another instalment of your Under-23 Football Fix. As always, I'm Joe Donoghue, your host, and today we're joined by Scouted Football's Commander-in-Chief, Stephen Ganavis. Uh, the reason for Steve's appearance on this week's pod is not because Riley McGree is balling out for Adelaide United or to discuss Luis Sinistera's season-ending injury, although both of which are true statements. He's not even here because I haven't bothered to organise a guest. He is here for a reason, and that is, of course, because Volume 5 of the Scouted Football Handbook went live on Wednesday the 19th of February, as ever, available to buy from sfhandbook.com. First off, Steve, how are you doing? Anything to update us on outside the world of Scouted Football? Uh, Big tings, big tings. Uh, Yeah, firstly, very happy that the the new release is out, the the, uh, subscriber... uh, Copies will be shipped out on uh, on Saturday and uh, will hopefully be with people early in the week. Uh, thank you already uh, to everyone that's already uh, picked up their copy or subscribed. It means the world to us. Really helps us keep doing what we're doing. And and uh, yeah, the more help we get, the more content we can start to deliver and keep delivering. Already, Joe, you're doing a, a great job with the with the podcast. I know a lot of people are have given you a lot of positive feedback and they're really enjoying it. But yeah, we're hoping to also uh, get more things going up on the side and, and continue to to reinvest uh, everything that we get into into improving the quality of the of the handbook every quarter moving forward so that uh, people keep enjoying what we're, what we're putting out. So yeah, all good. Yeah, it's always great fun um, recording these pods, and and uh, thanks for thanks for joining me on this one today, Steve. But yeah, it's also great when when people send us pictures, you know, of, of them having received their handbooks, and we love we love seeing that, and we love putting out as much content as we can do. Um, for anyone who hasn't listened to the Scouted Football podcast before or doesn't know Steve, uh, first of all, he forgives you. Uh, just about, but you're based in Melbourne in mighty Australia and you, you you oversee everything that goes into making the handbooks as lovely as they are as sort of one of our chief editors. And just getting straight on to, onto the newest edition, Volume 5, um, we've got a beautiful new cover um, by Matthew Shipley, um, whose illustration of Latara Martinez adorns the front cover. Um, we'll just go straight into what's inside the book. Um, and last year we had four volumes, of course, 25 players in each. Um, a range of analysts, a range of different nationalities. Steve, would you be able to tell us what is changing from the format, what's staying the same, anything really to look out for? Yeah, so the the content, the writing is uh, r- remaining the same, but we've uh, yeah given the the whole look a revamp. Uh, the front cover by by Matt just looks amazing. Came out really well. We we think it look, looks fantastic, and uh, yeah, it's been great to have Carl doing. Uh, some more illustrations for us and uh, giving every player in the book a, their own fresh look in, instead of the uh, the jerseys. So we've retired the jerseys and, and Carl's here to stay. We're happy. Looks we're happy. Looks really good. Um, the profiles are, I reckon, in my opinion, the the, the best ones that we've uh, put together yet. Was really happy. Our contributors, as always, have put in the hard yards and they've uh, yeah delivered some some awesome insight into into a range of players some some really uh interesting ones i think in this in this edition uh we always like to throw a couple left field ones uh in there and uh yeah especially in this book uh a few of my personal favorites that i got to do are in there that yeah they're great yeah there are there are a couple of left field ones in there which are quite interesting to see because you know they're players that that i'm not too familiar with um and i suppose they'll they'll be players that not a lot of people sort of in western europe will, will be too familiar with and i suppose that always has a, a certain level of intrigue around it 
Um, as well as that, uh, Tom Curran, scouted founder, of course, uh, has a small preface inside the front cover of the newest volume, which is always good to see because you know he's a great writer, and it's not just because he mentions me by name, I promise. Um, but regarding the players inside the book, I suppose that is the the meat on the bones. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I counted sixteen different nationalities in this edition, which kind of lends itself to that the, you know those few uh, left field suggestions. Um, how many different analysts have we got this time around? I I think we maybe have, I think we've got 15, 15 this time. So we've got two new ones in uh, Owen Brown, who you had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, doing Morelos and Odson Edward. Uh, he did a really great job. And uh, also Josh Manley, who has done a profile on on Marcus Turam, who's having a, a massive season so far, bit of a bit of a breakout season at uh, Munchen Gladbach. So yeah, that's a real, real nice profile as well. So you've been editing the profiles over the past weeks and months, Steve. Um, as always, you know, a big job. Uh, aside from your own, which we'll get onto very soon, um, which profiles are you particularly looking forward to, to people reading? Yeah, so I really enjoyed uh, Todd Cantwell, who was profiled by Pete Munnerly. Um Also, Jamie Kent returned to give us some some Spanish football insights, and he did uh, Pau Torres from Villarreal. And also one more, probably uh, Lou did uh, Joey Veerman at uh, Heron Vane. But I promise everyone out there, they're all great. Uh, all 25 are great. So uh, definitely, yeah, give it a try. Just coming on to the players that you've done, uh, I suppose there'll be a few rogue shouts in there that people may not have heard of before um, who are about to have a huge 2020. Are there any sort of that you that you profiled? And I know you had three. Um, who you think people should be quite interested in, in in taking a note of? Yeah, so the of the three that I did, probably the one I'm really excited to see uh, what happens in 2024 is uh, Riley McGree coming from uh, my native Australia. Uh, he's at Adelaide United. The first time an A League team, I think, paid a transfer fee. They bought him from uh, Cl- Club Brugge. Uh, who had bought them? Bought him from Adelaide United in the first place about three years ago, uh, but he's having yeah a pretty monster breakout season, scoring I think once every one twenty or one thirty minutes in the league uh, from kind of attacking midfield, kind of rotating between second striker, attacking midfield, and every now and then slotting into a slightly deeper role. Um, but yeah, he's going going to also have a chance. To play at the Olympics later in the year and possibly also uh, in the Copa America if he gets a call up. Uh, so I'm hopefully going to go over to, to Argentina and watch Riley McGree compete in midfield against uh, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Chile. So that should be fun. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Dynamic would do really well, I think, in uh, a league like the Eredivisie where it's a bit more open, give him a few more chances to to show his nous in the penalty area, score a few more goals and uh, and get get some eyes on him. This time last year, you were at the Asian Cup uh, covering that competition for the Guardian. And uh, you, I suppose you'll have come across Qatar and their Aspire Academy-inspired uh, youthful national team. Um, and one of those players who hit the headlines there uh, at that tournament was Akram Afif, um, who does feature in Volume 5. Um, I mean, I remember hearing about Afif at the time, uh, mainly through you, but but I haven't really kept track of his progress. Um, and obviously, he's in Volume 5. 
essentially what what is he up to and and why is he in the book and and why did he why did he make waves at the Asian Cup last year? Yeah, so he was incredible at the Asian Cup, playing as kind of like a winger, striker, mix hybrid. Um, he's just so quick, um, so direct. Not really a dribbler, but um, really creative in trying to to split open defenses with his passing and movement. Um, at that tournament, he had, which I say is. Uh, yeah, really creative. Goes and has ten assists. I think in it was in seven games uh, in the final against Japan. Scored a penalty and and had uh, two assists. I believe um, just had a all round monster tournament and taken it into the into the league this season. Where I can't even remember what it was, but he's scoring it more than a goal a game. I think and and fifteen assists in the twenty games as well. Um, can't remember the stats correctly off the top of my head, so don't quote me, but they're just ridiculous. It's a goal involvement once every 50 minutes or something like that. So I understand you got to preface this with it's the Qatari League. He plays in the most dominant team in the league, um, Al Saad. They scored 100 goals in 22 games uh, last season. Uh, but nonetheless, he's super exciting. Um, actually owned by Villarreal as well. Um, and they still have him under contract for another 18 months, I believe. Um, so they could possibly bring him back and take a little look at him um, starting from next season. Um, so that could also be a, another potential uh, byline of the summer is to, to, to see where he fares because it's very unusual for uh, players on the Gulf and in the Middle East to to leave in a similar way um, to Russian players uh, where they're offered much better salaries to stay put um, and not test themselves in a, in a top five league or top seven league in Europe. Um, so yeah, hopefully, and it will be important for Qatar's development, I think going forward into 2022 um, to see if he moves across the ditch and, uh, and has a has a go in Europe and uh, and test himself, and so we can kind of start to make that comparison of how how the best players from the Gulf can kind of stand up in a European league rather than the fleeting opportunities we get to see them at World Cups and the like. Do, do you think we'll be seeing a similar style of player come through for Qatar in the coming years uh, ahead of the World Cup, given the influence that you know foreign coaches, um, particularly the Spanish ones, have had at the Aspire Academy um, over the past five years or so? Yeah, so Qatar heading into 2022 have already started to put a pretty good team together. They brought a lot of imports in from countries around Qatar when they were really young. Bassam al-Rawi is one of them. He's a 22-year-old born in Iraq. And he's a centre-back, absolute beast. Al-Moez Ali scored nine at the Asian Cup. I think it was nine goals and scored a lovely bicycle kick in the final. Uh, he's 23. He was born, I think, in Sudan, I think. But both of those are actually subject to a um, a court case at the Court of Arbitration for Sport about whether they're actually eligible to play for Qatar, which is an interesting kind of footnote that started to develop towards the, the knockout rounds of the Asian Cup where they kind of made the final and won the final and especially before the um, game against the UAE in the semifinal where people were questioning whether they were going to be disqualified from the tournament for fielding ineligible players. 
So that's that's to come, I think. I'm not exactly sure when that's going to play out, but that's going to come. But they're two fantastic players to start with. Uh, they got some veteran leadership in uh, Hassan Al-Haidus in midfield. And Felix Sanchez has been a really great coach for them that plays a, a really entertaining brand of football. It's very attacking, a lot of goals scored. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if 2022 on home soil would not be shocked if they do much better than any of the uh, Asian teams did in Russia in the past World Cup. Um, they're all kind of disappointing except maybe Iran. But yeah, even even if they get a, a couple of those uh, favorable refereeing calls a la South Korea 2002, yeah, they could find themselves in, non, in the knockout rounds and, you know, a chance to make a, a round of 16 game, a quarterfinal game if they if they get lucky. Just to clarify, that is not scouted football openly advocating state-sponsored corruption in refereeing <laughs> decisions. But you know, I, it's 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 a it's a, it's an interesting. If you've seen those two those two thousand and two <laughs> quarter, uh, quarterfinal yeah, games yeah, yeah. against Italy and uh, the game against Italy and the game against Spain, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's an interesting one, and with the with it being hosted in Qatar as well, you know, it does raise a few questions. People often ask whether we profile the 25 best players under the age of 23 um, at the time of publication. And uh, some of you may be wondering whether we think that highly of the likes of Akram Afif, um, you know, given that he's been playing a team that scored 100 goals in 22 league games in, in the Qatari Stars League. I mean, that may well be the case, but for the most part, we we profile the players we've watched a lot, first and foremost. But also, we try to cover all bases rather than just have a, a 25-strong list of European players at European clubs. You know, the, the guys who perhaps got an interesting story behind them for, for the background section of the profiles. Maybe they've had a, a, an interesting route to the top, like the likes of Danny Olmo, for example. So I suppose that is the reason for, for the inclusion of some players that might not be on, on the mainstream radar, like the likes of Ryan Amigri and Akram Afif. And it's great to have them in the book because it, it, it has a bit of variation. I think it's also I think it's also interesting though, just to jump in, is that with someone like Afif, for example, we've just never seen him like have the opportunity. It's hard to compare and say whether he's better or worse than some of these prospects in Europe, for example, is just because we've not really had the op- opportunity to see him play against that caliber of, uh, of opposition. The only chance he's really played people from a top five league is uh, in what well, one in the Copa America and uh, and two in the Asian Cup where in the Asian Cup final he didn't have any problem shredding my my Yoshida um, not that that's elite top five league competition but yeah there's a balance and as you said we're not always trying to do the 25 best at that time we like to mix it up we like to do players we find interesting that we like their style uh, if they're a dribble god or you know whatever the case may be. Yeah, I always come back to Jefferson Soteldo, um, your profile on him in, I think it was volume one last year, the, the amount of times you re- you referenced him as a dribble god. But yeah, he's, he's, he's at Santos, you know, five foot three Venezuelan, really interesting player. Not necessarily the best in the world, but again, very interesting, very entertaining to watch and yeah, cool profile. Um, I suppose another who fits into that category is is another one that you've written, Riley McGree, who you spoke about earlier, um, who again, not too familiar with, aside from your ranting and raving about him, Steve. Um, but yeah, he, he's in volume five, uh, an Adelaide United boy in the Aussie A-League. Essentially, what what's he all about? Because I haven't come across him a lot. I imagine most people who listen to this podcast won't have come across him a lot. Why is his going to be a cool profile to read? 
Yeah, so he kind of started off as a bit of a kind of run-of-the-mill box-to-box midfielder in his first stint at Adelaide. Um, and then kind of when he moved to Newcastle on uh, a loan from, uh, from Belgium after he'd left Adelaide, he kind of uh, developed this attacking side to his game. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people out there, they might not know Riley McGree very well, but I'm sure a lot of people have seen that uh, that scorpion kick goal from outside the box that he scored against Melbourne City in a semi final uh, in the A League, and uh, that was nominated for for the Pushkas Award. And I think everyone will know the oh my goodness uh, commentary from uh, from Brenton Speed, who's a commentator in Australia. So yeah, he from then went to Melbourne City on loan, CFG, and uh, started to develop those uh, attacking midfield skills but uh, Melbourne City last year were a bit of a bit of a basket case and played really boring football under uh, Warren Joyce who had come out here from uh, Man United but yeah this season really settled in at Adelaide back in a familiar environment and uh, they they play a, a much more uh, suited style on the counter attack uh, where he kind of finds space and is a bit of a fulcrum point to their attack where he gets, gives, and then kind of tries to find the best avenue uh, to score, gets in really awesome positions in the box. Kind of a bit like in that season where Ryan Sessegnon was just the ultimate goal poacher in the championship. Kind of got that knack of just nicking in on the rebound or getting the cut back and just having uh, really high-value shots at goal and finishing quite well when he gets the chance. Yeah, really hoping he gets a move into uh, the Eredivisie or Austria, somewhere like that, where he can uh, get a chance to show his uh, attacking side in a high-scoring league where he he should have plenty of opportunity as a young player. So you mentioned the Austrian Bundesliga or perhaps the Eredivisie. Do you think that is perhaps his level that he's going to be at if he came to a European league? Or, or does he have a higher ceiling than that? Again, it's so hard to really tell because you just have never seen him come up against competition that's better than A-League level, which is admittedly a basket case at the moment, but it's hard to tell a ceiling when you've never had anything to compare it against. Um, so what he's doing now as a 22-year-old in the A-League uh, is pretty impressive, but yeah, I'd love to see him go to the Eredivisie, play a few games there, and then I think that's when you can start to to make your judgment. But I think, I think he is at least capable of playing at that level and and uh, and being a difference maker. Uh, just to complete the set of your three profiles that you've done in Volume 5, you've also done uh, cover star Lautaro Martinez. Um, he's probably the leading name in the list of strikers we have for this edition, which is a great list, by the way. Um, as a Juve fan, is it tough seeing how well he's doing at Inter, given how long you've tracked him for, you know, from watching him at the Under-20 World Cup in 2017 with Argentina, and, and just how much of a big fan you are? Now it's not it's not tough seeing him played into as long as uh, as long as we're still top of the table nothing nothing bothers me too much. He's really started to click under Antonio Conte's season, uh, which has been as I said great to see as long as as long as they just stay tucked in in second or third place behind us on the table. But yeah, clicked really well with Conte and that style and playing alongside Lukaku, being that kind of pivot between the midfield and defense and Lukaku. Uh, and trying to to bring Lukaku into the game, 
with a lot of space behind him to run into and and uh, attack as they counter. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him because I'm hearing a lot of Barcelona rumors in the last few days that he's he's got a release clause I think for 110 million euros. So as a Juve fan, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, that happen as well and uh, and seeing Inter lose a very important piece of the puzzle. Well, I'm hoping we can rely on on an entirely impartial profile at least. But you mentioned there the the Lukaku and Lotaro and the, how they've been playing very well together. Obviously, they dropped out of the Champions League and are now in the Europa League and have uh, Ludogorets in the first knockout round. Um, how far do you think they could go balancing the league and also balancing European competition? Do you think they've got enough in reserve? Do you think Lotaro could be you know, a huge player in that competition, given that he scored five goals in six group games for Inter? Saying, not saying this as not a Juventus fan, but saying this as someone that uh, knows Antonio Conte really well from seeing what he did at Juventus, would not shock me if Inter either A, get knocked out against Ludogorets or B, get knocked out in the round after because Conte knows the limit when his team has limitations and he has his eyes set firmly on one goal. He won't care about the Europa League. He'll want to do one thing and that's beat Juventus to the title and dropping out of the Europa League as early as possible gives him the best chance to do that because he... Well, firstly, doesn't really like rotating his team and he just loves to uh, get the most out of the 11 he starts to feel uh, most comfortable with. So would not shock me in the slightest if Inter bail out of Europe fairly early and just go all in on, on doing everything they can to end uh, Juve's run in Serie A. How many years is it in a row? Eight Scudettos in a row. Yeah, eight going for nine and then hopefully ten. <laughs> unbiased as ever of course um just getting back to to volume five it sees us welcome some some first-time analysts in josh manley and owen brown uh, actually it's probably best to say that they already are fantastic analysts and they're merely making their debuts uh, as analysts in a scouted football handbook sticking with the strikers theme uh, after latona martinez uh, we'll start with owen's two profiles and, and given his expertise in in the area of scottish football it only seemed natural for him to do the, the two most exciting players in the Scottish Premiership at present uh, and probably the two most exciting players that the Scottish Premiership has had in in, in the recent uh, recent past. Uh, that is obviously Odson Edouard and Alfredo Morelos that you alluded to before. Um, we, we spoke to Owen last month on episode 14 of the Scouted Football podcast and he really is a, a, a knowledgeable guy, um, goes into depth on Edouard, Morelos, everything else in Scottish football. Um, which is a really good listen, uh, really interesting. So definitely check that out as well as his written work. But just coming back to you, Steve, I'm, I mean, I'm going to ask this of everyone who comes on the pod when, when we mention El Buffalo and, and French Eddie, but they're not going to be still at Rangers and Celtic past this summer, you'd imagine, or, or it'd be very unlikely if they were. And where could you see them perhaps moving on to at the end of the season? Or at least where do you think they might be a good fit at, at, at perhaps a, a top five European league club? Yeah, so I saw this question on the rundown and I was I thought long and hard about this. I was, thought it was a great question. Um, but I think for Morelos, if Haaland's clause gets triggered and he leaves Dortmund, I think Morelos at Dortmund could potentially be something just brilliant. He scores at a high, high volume and all Dortmund need generally 
is someone that's just a finishing monster and that gets in uh, big-time goal-scoring positions, which Haaland does and Morelos does, maybe not to the extent that, that Haaland does, obviously, because he's a freak. But um, I think that could be something that works. And then for Edward, I was thinking if Leon sell Moussa Dembele, that he could be a potentially very, very nice replacement at striker there. Um, kind of not a necessarily like-for-like replacement, but I think would fit in pretty well with the other pieces they've got. Uh, well, they've got that are injured, but have got to come back um, in Jeffrey and Adelaide. Uh, who was it that got injured out wide? At Memphis Depay. Gone blank. Yeah. Uh, Memphis and Betran Traore. I think that would kind of all work quite nicely. Um, so that would be my my two uneducated shouts on where would be good landing spots. Yeah, the, the Dortmund shout is it's quite a left field one that I hadn't considered that, but it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it would be it would be all sorts of fun given the the maverick that Morelos is. Um, I remember Owen on on the other pod. He he suggested somewhere like a, like a Sevilla or Villarreal or, or or a club that would be in the Europa League in La Liga, and you can see why that would make sense given that you know the, the language wouldn't be too much of a problem, um, and you know I think he'd probably be well suited to a, a club that you know is is going to be on the front foot a lot of the time, and he'd probably be up there with a shout of testing um, the the current options that those two sides have uh, up front. Um, for replacing the starting eleven, um, for me, I, I I I can't help but see that Morelos in particular might drop into the Premier League um, at perhaps a mid-table club. Uh, I don't know where, but uh, I just have I have a feeling that given the proximity to to Glasgow, you know, a lot of Premier League clubs will have been keeping an eye on him, and given the money that they have, it's uh, it, I feel like it's the the sort of move that you know, a Premier League club might just throw a certain amount of money at Rangers and say, look. We want him in the summer. We're gonna we're gonna take him off your hands, um, regardless of the risks that that are in place. Um, but yeah, that those two in particular, um, first of all, great profiles in the latest edition. Um, I've had a look at those two, and yeah, they're they're pretty much bob on. With that Premier League thing, if I can jump in again, um, if he moved to a mid table or a lower tiered table uh, team in the in the Premier League. I could imagine that move flunking yeah. so badly and so fast. Because can you just imagine him with a bad temper already and uh, capable of getting sent off at any moment? But then imagine him starved of service, exactly, yeah. and having to create for himself, which is not his strong suit. I could imagine him getting very frustrated very quickly, and yeah, possibly doing something uh, a little stupid or, or rubbing fans the wrong way. So yeah, that's probably not something that I'd like to see. You you want him somewhere where he's at least going to have service. And when you you see what's happened to to Jolinton at Newcastle this year, for example, it's kind of become a scapegoat for a team that really just doesn't suit him. Um, can't yeah provide what he needs to kind of function in the system. Um, and I, yeah, I could see that happening with with Morales as well. Yeah, it would be a shame. It would definitely be a shame. But I mean, we know how directors of football and and the higher ups in Premier League clubs work sometimes. And you know, they don't. They're, they're not all like Stuart Webber at Norwich. You know, they're not all gonna look at how they're gonna fit into the team. You know, they they're more akin to the likes of Ed Woodward, for example. 
um, in terms of their recruitment. But yeah, at a, at a club where he's going to be starved of service, Morelos is not going to be a, a happy bunny, to say the least. But will it stop him from going there? Who knows? That's just going to be an interesting storyline for the summer, I guess. And as the impartial Juventus fan that I am, I was not at all interested in the fact that you did a profile on Juventus's new uh, new signing, Dian Kulusevski. So I wouldn't know, wouldn't want to know anything about him. Uh, but for all the listeners out there, Joe, could you tell us a bit about your profile on Kulusevski and uh, and what Juventus can expect to receive next season when he arrives? Yeah, Kulusevski is, is is one of those players that I've really, really enjoyed watching this season. He's been fantastic on loan at Parma. He's really, really been great. The the only concern that I have is that he's coming from Syria's most attack counter attacking side, and he's coming to one of Syria's least counter attacking sides. Um, you know, he's going to have to work out how he's going to get past deep blocks um, and and that sort of thing. Uh, he is an extremely exciting player, and one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is is him at the Euros this summer with Sweden. Because I think it's a given that he will he will start there now, given that you know he's been 19 years old, he had four goals and seven assists before the winter break in Serie A, which was ridiculous. Because I think only Luis Alberto had more um, at that stage, and he's just such a dynamic, varied, versatile player that I think it was it was almost a given that a club like Juventus were going to come in for him very early on because they knew that they couldn't afford one of their rivals getting him. Um, the the fact that he can play as a right winger as he has done this season but also in Atalanta's Primavera sides in the previous two seasons um, he was playing more of as, as a number 10 but again being a very good counter-attacking outlet um, has a great left foot on him and just it's, it's such it's such an interesting interesting player to watch because he doesn't look like uh, you know he's he's about, he's about six foot one he doesn't look like the type of player who'd be great at, uh, at breaking out um, from inside his own box, carrying the ball miles and miles up the pitch. But he is, and he, he's great. At, he, he's strong enough to hold off uh, challenges. He's, he's good enough to create high-quality chances, as he is one of Serie's uh, expected assist leaders. And yeah, his his was a profile that was a real joy to, to write because it, it meant sort of delving back into the archives of seeing him at, at Atalanta, Primavera side. And they were really, really good games to watch as, as Atalanta won the won that title last year uh, and you can see why a Serie A team wanted to take him on loan so yeah based on this half season and the his recent pedigree in in the Primavera League I can see why Juve had to had to cash in on him now but the, the again the only thing that I worry about is whether he adapts quickly quickly enough to the expectations of a fan base like Juve's all right so you've sold me on that one now the other one, other player you profiled uh, is Ben White of Leeds United. Um, I think we'd actually had a few people uh, DM us and ask for this, and then you started asking for it as well. So I had to let you do it. Um, can you tell us a bit more about Ben White? Yeah, we'd seen a few of those about Ben White, and and this one's a lot closer to home than than Italy. Um, obviously, with, with him playing for Leeds United uh, on loan from from Brighton at the moment. Um, but the thing that always that really struck me about Ben White is that from the moment that he came into the Leeds team, having not had any previous championship or even second tier uh, experience, he just he, he was playing at a canter. He was very settled. He was he knew how to play the game. Um, 
and he just seemed very composed on the ball, uh, which is probably his 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 most defining attribute is is how he distributes it. Um, but also when it comes to to doing his defensive work as well, he's he's brilliant in that sense as well. Um, he's really settled into the into the side and settled into the role that Marcelo Bielsa wants for from him. And I think you can see very clearly that he was a player that Bielsa and his scouting team earmarked as someone who was going to help them in sort of in in terms of the the build up play right from the back um, because he is he's a very very good centre back and I think I, I mentioned it in the profile towards the end um, that you see a lot of stuff in the British media where a young English centre back has a has a few good games in the Premier League and they start being touted for for an England call up Ben White has had a great season with Leeds. He's done very well coming up the leagues, you know, being on loan at League Two, Newport County, League One, um, Peterborough United. Uh, and he's, he, I, I think he'd struggle to find a supporter of any of those clubs who had a, had a bad word to say about him. So I think in the summer, it'll be an interesting one. Whether Leeds come up and drop 20 to 30 million on him, um, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, if they don't, I think it's safe to assume that he won't be at Leeds next year. Uh, and even still, even if they did come up, then it's likely that Brighton and Graham Potter will want to keep him around the squad there um, because he, I, th- I do seriously think he is a future England centre-back because he just has so much about his game. And yeah, he's been really, really exciting to watch. A really solid presence at the, at the heart of, of Bielsa's defence for Leeds. While, while there are many things that are the same uh, about 2020's Scouted Football Handbook volumes, there are a few little changes to the way we're doing things, uh, such as offering a subscription service for the first time for the entire calendar year, which allows you to receive all four volumes when they're released. Um, including that, Steve, are there any more things in the pipeline to make the 2020 handbooks even better? Perhaps some perks to, to having a Scouted Football subscription on the side? Yeah, so obviously subscribing you'll get the books first uh before people that uh order regularly uh we've also got a couple of extra uh stickers in there that are only for subscriber copies um but yeah as far as the the rest of the 2020 handbooks are concerned uh we're always looking to to keep improving and always looking to to see what avenues there are to, to adding uh extra content uh if things pop up and uh, like last year with the under 20 world cup, for example. Um, so yeah, we're, we're waiting and see on that. Uh, as I said, we're always trying to, to, to do more on that front. Uh, but then in terms of, yeah, the rest of the, the operation, hoping to have a lot more stuff going up on this, on the website. Uh, Joe, you're, you're going to keep pumping out these pods. They're awesome. Um, and yeah, the more that you guys can, can support us, we really appreciate it. Um, and it helps us grow and, and keep improving everything. Uh, it is a shorter episode than usual today, but hopefully you've still found us entertaining and at least a little bit interesting. Um, if you have done, then please leave us a review on whichever podcasting app you use. Uh, they're greatly appreciated, and we do take note of them all. Um, anything to make sure that we can keep bringing you these pods with bigger and better content every week. Interesting guests, really interesting features, and stuff that's actually gonna, you know, make you think about how you how you view football uh, from from with through that under twenty three lens. Steve, it's been a pleasure as always catching up with you, and hopefully it won't be too long before you're on again. Uh, I'm sure we'll get you on uh, before Volume Six is released to discuss the goings on in 
and the world of, of football. In the meantime, do check out sfhandbook.com if you'd like to get your hands on a Scouted Football Handbook, um, whether that be from last year or this year. Um, do you have any parting words for, for anyone who, who's listening, Steve? Yes, everyone. Please uh, subscribe to the book, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast five stars on iTunes for Joe. He will love you very much if you do that. Uh, and keep uh, keep interacting with us on Twitter, Instagram. We love when you guys uh, tweet into us, message us, comment on our stuff, and uh, yeah, get interacting in the world of uh, youth football that we love uh, love talking about and love uh, interacting with you guys. Yeah, that is true. I will love you if you leave us a good review. Um, yeah, if you if you also have any suggestions for what we should talk about on the coming episodes of the podcast, do send us a DM or tweet us at Scouted Football. Um, as ever, thank you very much for the support uh, and you'll be hearing from us very soon. Bye-bye.